When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. To Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery, and with me this week in the studio is Zach Rosen, a Detroit-based storymaker who created and hosts the podcast The Best Advice Show and co-hosts Slate's parenting podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this beautiful example of uh, vertical integration. Uh, That's it. A, a, which I assume 30 Rock invented, but actually is probably <laughs> from the business world. And then 30 Rock mentioned it, um, which is my entry point to a lot of business terms. Yeah, I think we're pleasing our, our corporate masters today. Do we have corporate masters? I don't really think of Slate as a corporation, but then I guess I don't really think enough about corporations to begin <laughs> with. That's a longer conversation. But yeah, Slate's a corporation, a, okay. a, 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 a great one to work for. But a corporation, <laughs> but nonetheless. That was beautifully, beautifully fixed up at the end. <laughs> and I guess my follow-up question is, what's the difference between a corporation and a business? I don't know. We have to ask, like, Guy Raz or something. I know that you can become incorporated. Like, a business can become incorporated. And presumably that has something to do with the process of becoming corporate. But again, this feels a little bit like becoming real in the Velveteen Rabbit. Very nebulous. Involves some sort of, like, childhood magic that I don't fully understand and probably never will. Yeah, I mean, as far as like incorporation and childhood, the thing I think of is the show Kids Incorporated. Um, I've heard of as, this. That's as much as I know about incorporations. I think it's always great to start by acknowledging the limits of one's own knowledge. So hopefully the last couple of minutes have made everyone listening to the show feel really encouraged and heartened about our ability to guide them throughout life's quandaries. Oh, um, boy. Because we've established that there's a lot I don't know. Um <laughs> And I know even less. And we're just going to lean into it. I'm looking forward to it. Luckily, nobody is writing to us today with like problems about, I don't know, establishing an LLC in Delaware. So right. uh, we're safe, at least. Uh, for some reason, everybody who gets an LLC has to do it in Delaware. Something about pirate law. I don't understand that either. But <laughs> when I was... Like you do know some things. When, when Nicole and I started The Toast many years ago, she said, we have to start an LLC in Delaware. And I said, sounds good, which was how we handled our business and probably part of the reason why we were able to run a business for three years and not four or even five. Is Joe Biden to thank for any of this? I don't think so. He's just from Delaware. I don't think he... He, did, he didn't make the business laws of the state. No, just just for some reason, Delaware is very uh, friendly for LLCs and um, I'm not very good at running a business. Zach, would you put me out of my misery and read our first letter so we can get <laughs> out of this hole? Yeah, let's get to it. The subject is Inconvenient Crush. I think one of the guys who operates a convenience store near me has a crush on me, and I'm not sure what to do. I'm a trans man who doesn't pass, and I live with my cis boyfriend. This store is within walking distance of our apartment and open 24 hours, and we often go there. One of the guys there has been friendly with me, particularly when I'm not with my partner. I try to be friendly to everyone, but I'm worried this might have been perceived as interest. What once felt slightly flattering now just feels weird. I always wear a mask indoors, but he's asked me to take my mask off now twice to see my face, which I did briefly. That also bothers my anxiety about health a bit. Once he was in the store, but not working the checkout. So when I checked out, he acted like he was doing something behind the counter, but was staring at me. I'm not sure what to do. I've told my boyfriend, none of this happens when he's around. And he suggested we stop going to that store. I think this guy perceives me as a woman and the relevant potential dangers apply. Also, it's uncomfortable. He probably knows generally, but not exactly where we live. My partner and I semi-jokingly talked about moving away. Is this no big deal? What should we do? 
I do want to get to this letter writer's question, which, you know, merits real care and attention. But I do just also want to add that Delaware is often considered one of the best states to form an LLC because it has limited fees and tax obligations. In fact, many businesses choose to form an LLC in Delaware, even if they don't intend on doing business in Delaware. So uh, there we have it. Is now a good time to talk about today's sponsor? I God, that would have been such an amazing lead-in right? if we were being sponsored by, I guess, the Court the of Chancery in the state of Delaware. <laughs> yeah, the Chamber of Commerce. The yeah, uh, yeah. We are, this, we are this going episode deep has been brought wow. to you by the idea of the state of Delaware. <laughs> the mere notion of it. So I, I feel both a, a real sense of like this sounds unpleasant, and I, I totally understand the letter writer's dislike uh, of of their sort of situation. But I do also just want to throw out there, letter writer, I think you may be overthinking some elements of this, like, or maybe just some other stuff is also coming up for you uh, that that isn't necessarily, um, uh, the, the, the line about like, I don't pass felt a little bit like, oh, that sounds like its own problem. But I just also want to stress, regardless of what this guy sees you as, uh, if you were both cis guys or if you were both trans guys or, or any other combination of genders, it would still be weird and you would still be allowed to feel uncomfortable about it and it still wouldn't be like a good situation. So I, I can also really appreciate that you're like just concerned generally about sexist violence, even if that doesn't like the possibility of sexist violence, especially if it doesn't line up with your own like transition and identity. But Guys can still be weird to guys that they hit on. Women can still be weird to women that they hit on. I, I don't want you to feel like, oh man, this problem would be solved if only I passed. And, and I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Not that you need to understand your situation differently. Just that if one of the ways that this feels additionally hard is if you're like, and I've brought this on my own head by not passing well enough, this could still happen to you. And and, and so I, I don't want you to feel like this is just like yet another thing that you have got to take some sort of responsibility for. I'm not sure if that was present. I just, I felt that a little bit. No, I I, I did too. I think that was really well said. Yeah. So, you know, in, in terms of your concerns, that makes sense to me. I, I don't know that moving away feels like an appropriate, I get that it's like semi-joking, but without saying like, hey, this is no big deal at all, and being aware that like oftentimes an indicator of future weirdness or escalation is past weirdness, you know, this guy hasn't done or said anything about following you home. He's asked you to take your mask off a few times, which I really get you don't appreciate and you wish he wouldn't, and he's looked at you. Again, that's not fine or normal or appropriate, but that's also not like, hey, give me your home address, repeatedly asking you out, trying to follow you out of the store. Um, and so I just I just want to make sure that you're not either underreacting or overreacting. And so far, at least, you have a lot of options on your plate besides even joking about moving away, like going to a different store or handling situations where he tries to interact with you differently or going to the store only with your partner or somebody else that would, I think, be much more cost effective. Yeah, yeah. I was I was curious, like, how convenient this convenience store is. Because, like, just to, to give some credence to the possibility of that our letter writer isn't overreacting is, like, the thing about creeps or even mild creeps is we don't know what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if there is a convenience store that's, an eighth of a mile further than this one that's also open late, like it's totally fine if you don't want to interact with this person anymore. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't judge you for that. I would completely understand it. So like, yeah, not moving away, but choosing a new convenience store, I don't think that's I don't think that's out of line at all. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it would be fine if you did decide you wanted to continue going there, but if in the future he asked you to remove your mask, you were going to say no. That would be totally fine. But you don't have to do that either. If if you're just like, I don't want to interact with him anymore. Uh, I don't want to even run a small risk of antagonizing him. Then don't do that by all means. Like you have my full permission to. But if either you're like, that's just too stressful to think about his possible reactions. Or I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to do that. You know, I would certainly encourage you to cultivate like, how can I be prepared to say no politely and firmly in other possible weird situations in my life? But you don't have to go practice on this guy if you'd rather not. So 
I would say totally fine if you just wanted to start avoiding this convenience store and looking for others. Totally fine if, I don't know, maybe because it's so close and within walking distance and open 24 hours, you t- you and your boyfriend have just sort of relied on it as whenever we realize we're out of something, we'll just wander over there and you want to instead keep like a running grocery list or a convenience store list and then once a week go to a slightly further away convenience store but pick up all the like little bits and bobs that you might need for the week. Do that. Uh, avoid the store for the rest of your life if you want to or only go there with your partner. Both are totally, totally fine. I think you could also go back and just not take off your mask, not be as friendly to him. But again, you're totally free to decline to do that if you think that that would just be really, really unpleasant. Don't do it. Yeah, I'm really interested in the in the kind of calculus that goes into the risk reward of confronting someone like this. And confrontation, I think, is going to be something we're going to kind of talk about today in some of our other letters but like if this store is very important to you and like if you want to be there and not be made to feel uncomfortable which i think is totally something that you deserve like there is a way probably hopefully i don't know the person that that works at the store of course but i think there might be a way to to confront this person perhaps with your boyfriend next to you in a way that's just like hey I love coming to this store. This is kind of, you know, this is part of our our, our weekly rituals. I've, I've picked up kind of a vibe. And I just wanted to say, like, I may have misread it, but, like, I would like to keep this relationship professional. Um, and I know that's so much easier said than done. It's something that I have never done in my life. So I'm truly talking out of my ass here. Yeah, that one's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. I, 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 I completely agree. Yeah, my, my instinct is... If you imagine yourself having a general conversation and all you can say is there might be a vibe I might be misreading, that's going to be challenging. So my my advice would be either go back and then if he asks you to do something you're not comfortable with in the moment, say no and stop asking. But to go in there and just say, sometimes you give me a weird vibe, there's so much potential there for confusion, for plausible deniability, for you to look like you are kind of out of it. And so I just think, again, not like, wow, that's a really bad idea. I just think without something more concrete that has the potential to go sideways in a couple of different ways. But but to certainly, again, like if he asked you a third time, you could absolutely say, hey, man, you keep asking me to take my mask off. I'm not going to do it. Please stop asking. But it's also, too, like, convenience stores usually don't have, like, I don't know, I've spent a fair amount of time in 24-hour convenience stores, and there's not usually somebody who's like, wow, thank you for bringing this to our attention, someone who's being weird in the 24-hour convenience store. We're gonna ask. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we're all weird here. If no one's getting, like, actively held up uh, or stealing in front of me, I'm not going to worry about it is more often the the attitude. But yeah, just again, as somebody who, like, I've sometimes had weird encounters with with, you know, people at 24-hour convenience stores. Some of that was before I transitioned. Some of it has been during my transition. Some of it has been when I was getting pretty reliably served in public and other times less reliably so. So I don't have like a perfect flow chart of like, I know on any given day exactly how I'm being read by people. But I, again, I'll just say like, it, it can still happen with somebody who's calling you guy. And I don't always have like the best, best universal advice for it, but I do know that I have sort of had to, throughout my own transition, develop new techniques for heading things off at a pass and kind of establishing, like, what's the weird behavior that, like, I think is best to clearly ignore and try to, like, just move away from versus what's some weirdness that I think deserves intervention. And again, like, that's really, it's really dependent on, like, context and situations and and what you feel comfortable with. Like, I remember one time I was in the UK getting, like, followed by this guy who was, like, very drunk and, like, not having a good time. And after a few blocks, I just turned around and shook his hand. I wouldn't give that advice out, like, to wow. everybody, but I was like— What happened? Well, I, you know, I went full folksy, which is often something that I do when I'm in the UK, especially. And I was just like, hey there, nice to meet you. My name's Danny. I'm just walking back from this restaurant. I was just having supper there with my wife. Heading over to my hotel now. This is my first time in Brighton. How you been doing? What you been up to this evening? And, it, you know, just like a wall of like small talk. And that, you know, in that particular instance, that kind of worked. And he was like, oh, blah, and kind of peeled off. But I certainly wouldn't have done that if I was getting a more hostile, violent vibe from him or if he was with a couple of guys, um, I probably would have just like right. tried to like double back and walk for a more populated area. And would again, would I'm not saying this to like offer to shake this guy's hand. Like that's not what I would do in this situation. Just that I, I think it helps to kind of 
come up with a couple of possibilities to have in your back pocket because, you know, people can be weird in public and it's nice to know when can I avoid, when can I try to de-escalate, when am I maybe going to have to like tell someone to back off and like be prepared for it to get weird. Mm -hmm. Do you have any like experience dealing with somebody kind of weird in public that feels at all relevant or is it just like, I got nothing, people are weird sometimes, what are you going to do? Yeah, people are certainly weird sometimes. No, I, I, I don't have an analog for this. I wish I did. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you don't. I don't want to have my guests on and be like, oh, good news. A lot of people have been weird to me in public. Like, that's good. But yeah, just I think in between moving or even joking about moving, there is stop going to the store, stop going to the store alone, going to the store, but being prepared to say no to any requests and like just getting in and getting out making semi-regular trips to other stores to pick up stuff you need rather than an ad hoc basis. All of those are good options. All of those are within your your reach. None of them require you to confront this guy if that doesn't feel appropriate or if you just don't think you'd be up to it. Yeah, totally. And I think the thing that I might relate to the most here is our letter writer saying, I try to be friendly to everyone, which, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I think this, this is a people pleasing tendency. And like you said earlier, the mere strategy of just tweaking your friendliness down to just being like not uh, an asshole by any means, but just like not so open. Yeah. Um, that is probably going to help a lot in this situation. Yeah. And not, that doesn't mean letter writer, you have to start being like a brick wall to everyone you interact with. But you know, now if whether you go back there with your boyfriend again in the future or you don't, this guy is not someone you're going to be maximally friendly to. So this is a person that you are going to be downgrading to like, politely distracted or barely present. Do you know what I mean? Like, totally. that would mean going in and if he addresses you, you know, being like, mm-hmm, um, or like, hey, but keeping it quick, making it clear that you're there to get something and get out. Like, I've definitely modified my behavior around a handful of, like, semi-difficult people I've had to encounter in public on more than one occasion where I'm not, like, flinching from them in terror or, like, saying, fuck off if they so much as look at me, but I change up how receptive I am and that's useful. And it's not always the most fun thing in the world. And I wish nobody like had to do it, but it sounds like it's called for in this instance. And so just mentally downgrading this guy to like the least friendly line on your friendly meter, I guess, uh, is, is also going to serve you well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another strategy, if you're like, <laughs> if you just like don't know how to not be friendly, you can pretend like you're on the phone. Oh yeah, the, the classic store. fake a phone call. If he, if he gestures to you to take off your mask, gesture to your AirPods, which are playing nothing, so you can still hear and be aware of your surroundings. And you're just like, sorry, can't hear you on a call. And then you say stuff like, I absolutely agree. I think we should move ahead with this. Uh-huh. Yep. Great. And then vertical integration. Vertical, Delaware, exactly. Stuff say, like that. say vertical integration. Say, have we considered incorporating in Delaware? <laughs> They'll buy that every time. Yeah, I, I have somebody in my neighborhood I do this to all of the time. And uh, my fake phone calls have gotten increasingly esoteric, and I'm not worried about it. What's your um your late night convenience store order? Um, it changes. I definitely go through times when I'm like, I don't need to be stopping here five nights a week for individual cans of $5 seltzer. Like, this is not cost effective. But then I go through times in my life where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be planning ahead any further than day to day. Consider the lilies of the field, et cetera. I do need this $5 can of seltzer. Mm -hmm. So it's usually seltzer. Sometimes it's paper towels. Occasionally it's cheese. But I don't have like a very good, exciting convenience store order. It's, it's more often just like I could kind of use this and I don't feel like making a grocery list and getting it all done at once. So I'll just stop here every, you know, four hours, which is, again, not ideal. I don't know that I need a 24-hour convenience store. It's possibly too much convenience for me to handle. Yeah, it's it's quite convenient. You're right. What about you? Also, I love that we've gotten so deep into a question that's basically just like, a guy at a store is kind of weird. Am I allowed to stop going? <laughs> to the answer to which is like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the main takeaway here, I think. But to answer your question, oatmeal cream pie or peanut butter M&Ms? Delicious. Fantastic. Two excellent orders. Uh, I support them both immensely. When I lived in the Bay Area, mine was often an It's It, which is similarly a San Francisco-based frozen treat that is two oatmeal cookies, crucially without raisins of any kind or dried yeah, fruit. Just fuck plain raisins. oatmeal oatmeal cookies uh, with ice cream in between, and then both of the cookies are like dipped in crackly hard chocolate, dark chocolate. Ooh, um, that and it's really fantastic. Fantastic. 
yeah, they're an it's it. They're a local delicacy. I support them. We should move on from this rich text. And I should read our second letter, which is exciting to me because it is both an update and a new letter. So I'm not saving it for the end this time. This is someone who's written in previously. We helped them with one problem. Now they have a new one, which is as it should be. That's how life works. Hi, I am the non-binary person who wrote in last year about my experiences with social isolation, attending a master's after several months of living with my fundamentalist family for several months in the early pandemic, only to be met with more fundamentalists and experiences of extreme isolation in my master's program. After, two friends invited me to move in with them for a few months, thinking that being with people I loved and trusted for a few months would restore me to a more human state. One day, they kicked me out spontaneously to live with my fundamentalist mother, even telling me I did nothing wrong, because I don't know, honestly. I think cis gay male monogamists just don't actually care about friendship. After several months of transphobic and homophobic rants while I was often too depressed to get dressed, I moved spontaneously across country to a town where I have two friends, also a monogamous couple, as an alternative to what else I was considering at the time, which was suicide. But now that I'm here, on an air mattress, in a cramped apartment, in an overstimulating urban area, it honestly seems like my best option. Is there any way to broach this reality with my few remaining friends? It's sad to have one single thing you think about all day, every day, but to know you have to keep that reality completely hidden from all parties at all times, pretending some other fundamentally different set of propositions are true. This one, I mean, obviously is deeply sad and and really serious, and there's lots that I think we could potentially get into here, but I think the sort of most important one is just, yeah, I do think it's a good idea to share with the people who care about you that you are daily contemplating suicide. I do think that that is a good thing to share with other people. I think most likely the reason you first wrote back to to share this and then also to suggest sharing it with your friends is because you want to. And potentially part of what's been holding you back is you've just experienced a handful of really difficult losses and rejections. And so you're fearing more of that, which is really understandable. But that's the advice I would want someone to give me if I were in that situation even knowing that there's a possibility of additional rejection or or even just like messy and imperfect reactions. Yeah, I would encourage you to share with people um, that you are contemplating suicide and to try to get more help and support than what you're already getting. And and not just sharing with the people in your life, but also like you should, I hate saying you should because you should do what you want, but you can consider the suicide prevention hotline, 988. You can consider starting a conversation with Trans Lifeline, which is mm-hmm. uh, 877-565-8860. Professional help is something that I believe everyone needs, including you. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, like that is very important. That's an important layer to um, moving through this rut. And the rut that you're in doesn't have to be permanent. I know it feels like that because that's the nature of being in a rut. It feels like there's no way that you're going to get out of it. But like in lieu of suicide, I hope for you and for your future chosen family, maybe your current chosen family, that you spend some time like looking for some folks who are going to love you for who you are. And you, you're you in a city. So there is likely an LGBTQ plus community center. We have affirmations in, in Metro Detroit here. They're out there. Um and those are places that you can go and meet folks. And if not, there's like, this is where I sound like an old man, like Facebook interest groups. Like you could search for like non-binary, you know, fill in whatever you're interested in and like try to meet some people doing the things that you're really interested in. So the, what a what a tough moment you're in. And I feel, I feel your pain and, and, and your rejection that you've endured and, and the sadness that you're going through. Um, but like therapy and it's it sounds so dumb but like faking it till you make it like someone told me what did he say you don't need to feel good to get going you need to get going to feel good so just like pull yourself up to the best of your ability just to like go to like one event even if it's like online just like try to meet some people where you're at 
and just like a, an infusion of like new energy from new people could be just like the bridge that 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 you need right now. Yeah, and that's a useful distinction too because I think what the letter writer is kind of suffering from right now is a, a more literal faking it, which is nobody around me knows that I'm thinking about suicide pretty constantly. And that kind of like useful advice that that somebody else had shared with you has more to do with when people already know that you're struggling with suicidal ideation and you have reached out for help, one possible principle you can consider applying is I might not necessarily feel like going to this group today or making my therapist appointment, but I'm going to show up and see if that creates enough momentum that I get some benefit out of it. So I just, it was really clear to me that yes, you yes, were yes, not yes. just thank saying, you, thank like, you for hey, that. fake it some more. Yes. But I, I want to really like distinguish between the kind of faking that right now makes you letter writer feel totally isolated, totally alone, totally cut off from the possibility of help from others versus uh, a phrase like fake it till you make it, which I think refers to fairly different things. Thank you for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. No, and thank you so much for for mentioning those various hotlines. And again, I, I think like you, I often feel like that sort of cold comfort, like often people who have been thinking about suicide daily are aware of those things. But it is also just true that you do have to start somewhere. And it's not usually, unfortunately, it's not usually, I promise you, if you call this number or make this appointment tomorrow, within three days, you're going to feel like I've really turned this ship around, which is not the same thing as saying progress isn't possible or that you won't eventually feel glad that you didn't hurt yourself right now because you'll find that life changes and opens up in better ways. But it is also just true that right now your primary job is to try to keep yourself going and getting the help you need on a daily, sometimes even an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. um, and so you don't have to think too, too far ahead in terms of getting help, getting treatment, looking for a, a better way of living. And and I think too, you know, there's there's so much else in here that, again, it can just feel kind of cold to to try to offer a counterbalance. But I think I just wanted to to bring this sentence up because it felt like the letter writer themselves was a little unsure about it. That line about, I had my difficult fundamentalist family. That was really bad. But then I went and lived with some gay friends of mine thinking that things would get better there. And then in a situation that it sounds like the letter writer still doesn't fully understand, they kind of kicked me out unceremoniously, but while also saying, hey, you didn't really do anything wrong, which just feels baffling. And so the letter writer says, you know, I don't know, maybe like, gay guys who are monogamous and cis don't care about friendship, which I think they're kind of aware is a sort of overreach uh, or, or yeah, exaggeration, but just like, because I don't understand this, this is like my best guess. And part of what I think that guess is doing in terms of like protection is I thought those would be my community and my people. And it turns out that they weren't. And so maybe they're another type of community that doesn't really value friendship. And if I just set my sights on a slightly narrower group of queer people that are like trans and non-binary, then I'll be safe. That new category might help me in ways that this old category wouldn't. And I really get why that could feel protective because it just feels like, all right, if I just don't trust that category of person, I can protect myself from being hurt like this again in the future. But I, I also think, letter writer, the reason you said I don't know is you know on some level that that's not the answer. Yeah, they're out there. The, the cis gay male monogamists. I've met many of them who care deeply yeah. about friendship. They're, they're, they're there. And, and it's a broad group of people. And again, I don't want to say any of that to like scold the letter writer who's clearly going through it. But just in terms of there's no one category of people who you can always rely on. Um, and then that itself sounds a little despairing. I don't mean that. I just mean it is not a question of identity categories that will perfectly predict somebody's behavior. But what you can look for and ask from in other people is like honesty, transparency, willingness to have difficult conversations rather than just saying like this relationship's over. Mm -hmm. um, compassion, care, empathy. Those are all things that you can like look for and talk about and, and test for and ideally find in other people. Um, and, and hopefully is something that you're finding now, even in the difficult context of air mattress, somebody else's apartment, the city that makes me feel overwhelmed whenever I leave the door, go out the door. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So beyond sharing these thoughts with the people in your life right now, beyond reaching out for additional help and support, I would just encourage you, letter writer, anything that helps you, um, again, like just in a moment of hour to hour, day to day survival, prioritize that. Yeah. 
you know, you don't have to worry too hard about like, what, what is my life going to look like in one year, five years, 10, so much as what's going to make today bearable. That's something that I I would want and encourage you to prioritize. And I I don't even want to suggest like begin by comparing your situation a year ago to now, because you know much better than me what that feels like. But I, I do, I do feel heartened by the fact that you are at least no longer forced to live with your fundamentalist family and that you're no longer living with the people who rejected you and threw you out without any kind of context or explanation. So without trying to be Pollyanna-ish and saying like, this air mattress is great because you're with great people. Just like, I'm glad that even though it might feel worse in some ways, your situation is less dire than it was a year ago. And again, if any of that just sounds like, no, you actually don't know my situation well enough, shut up. I'm shutting up. Yeah, totally. To just go on top of that, another suggestion that might not be helpful at all, but you're in this overstimulating urban area, find some trees. Just yeah. like there are there are parks inside cities, and I can't tell you how many times I have retired to a park when I've felt overstimulated or sad and just did a little forest bathing. Of course, this is not going to solve your problem. Not one thing is going to solve your problems, but combination of of teeny tiny things like you said what's one thing that i can do today to make life more bearable maybe it's just like going and hearing some birds today and then maybe the next day you go to the community center like you know slow and steady yeah and just to think like if maybe your goal is uh, i want somewhere to live around some trees then your goal can be live long enough to get a place that's not in the city and to see what happens next and even if it's just I'm going to kick the can down the road 24 hours. My goal is not hurt myself today, remembering that if I really, really have to, I can do it tomorrow. And I don't say that like lightly or just like, mm. hey, just casually uh, dread pirate Roberts your own death. Um, but to just remind yourself that choosing to prioritize trying to get help today is not the same thing as committing to something that feels like too big or too daunting and sometimes postponement is just what you need long enough to get the help that it no longer feels quite so dire. And again, all of that with the, I think, huge grain of salt that I'm just offering these as options that might help you. And if you listen to them and none of them sound useful or good, you don't have to take any of them. But I do really think sharing your reality with the people around you and like letting it be known if you're in crisis and you need like crisis level treatment, Try to pursue that crisis level treatment that is allowed. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it can feel like, well, obviously my responsibility is to take up as little space as possible because I've been rejected so many times and I should make this seem as manageable as I possibly can in order to avoid being a burden on others. And I would just strongly caution you against doing that. I want you to get the help that you really need, not the smallest amount of help that you think people would be willing to give you. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad you wrote in And I hope that you are met with a lot of support. And I'm genuinely just sending you all my best. That feels kind of weak in the face of what you're experiencing. But I do truly, truly mean it. And I hope that there are trees and good things in your future. Yeah, me too. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Oh, well, we can pause there unless you have any kind of final thoughts for that particular letter writer, but I think it would be nice to sort of as a 
a buffer and a segue between this and our last question, hear a little bit more about your own approach to advice outside of the context of joining me on today's show, because you do several other uh, advice shows. And I'd love to know a little bit about what, what separates, say, mom and dad are fighting from the best advice in the world, aside from the obvious that one of them is the best. Right, right. And so so mom and dad are fighting is um, a weekly chat show in which myself and two moms talk about our kids and we answer listener questions to the best of our abilities. I love doing it. Um, you should listen. Every Thursday and Monday, there are plenty of non-parents that, that also listen, which I am just constantly honored by. But uh, my real baby, Danny, the thing that I just love to do is the best advice show. And I call it the best advice show because it's not me that's ever offering the advice. The, the idea is every episode, a different guest comes on to give me one piece of advice, often the best advice they've ever received and want to reshare with me. And so um, I'm not calling the show the best. I am calling, uh, though if you want to, you can, but I'm calling the advice that they're giving me the, the best advice. And so what you said in the last letter, frankly, what's one thing you can do today to make your life more bearable? That would be like the subtitle of the show, if I if I had to say. So it's 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 very rarely platitudinal. It's like granular, specific. What's what's something that makes life suck less? Um, mm. And I talked to everyone from like Oscar-winning filmmaker Sarah Polly to my five-year-old daughter and everyone in between. And so like, I believe that everyone has an episode in them. I believe everyone does something weird and helpful and generative throughout their day that makes life suck less. And that's like the thing that I'm really interested in hearing about. And so it's a short show. It's five to 15 minutes. You get it and you get out and you hear the advice. And ideally it's something that you can try. And ideally it's something that the listener can try to like integrate that day, that moment, if they want to. I kind of think of it like a gummy vitamin. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do love a gummy vitamin. Do you usually try to take the advice? Uh, like, is that something that is a through line on the show? Or is it less like something you could do in the weeks between recording and more just like general life advice about how to approach the the human condition? Definitely the former. So yeah, I I, I try a lot of it. And I don't usually run the episode if it's not something that like resonates so it doesn't have to be something that i'm going to try but like most of the time it is something that like wow that's cool i should try that and and often i do have you ever gotten just anything that you thought like i actually can't put this on the show this is really bad there have been a couple interviews where the the people where my guests don't show up knowing exactly what the show is and are like too general um <laughs> And so there, there have been a couple of those, but I'm going on episode 500 and 99.9% are just awesome people who have a, a, a great take on something weird and specific, which is what I'm after. It's a pretty good batting average. I feel blessed. And it's like I, like I said, everyone, everyone has an episode in them. It's not an hour long conversation. It's a little nugget. I would yeah. love to have you on, Danny. I, I'm sure I could say something that would be generally useful for five minutes. That does feel like a, a really realistic amount of time where just most people can say something sensible. Yep. Um, and I think that's a, a really lovely approach to advice in general. Um, well, thank you so much for letting us know more about that. I'm looking forward to it. And I have a little mini update slash new question, which I guess is the theme of the letters today, which is, people with uh, updates on old questions who now want to ask follow-up questions, which is a trend that I love and cherish. So by all means, um, I'll just read this one briefly if that's right with you, and we can yeah. try to come up with a quick answer for this. This letter writer says, I know how much you love follow-ups. Thank you, that's true, I do. I sent you a letter a while back titled Disgruntled Employee, and I'm happy to let you know that I did manage to get an offer elsewhere and quit within the same week as my only coworker. Within a few months, I heard word that my direct manager had also quit, and honestly, good for him. I now have a question about coming out as non-binary. I'm out to my friends, out at work, out to my sister, shakily out to my parents, and now also to my partner's parents. I am this year finally planning to go through with the legal name change process. I am also invited to my cousin's wedding. I'm not very close with him, and he is, along with the rest of my non-immediate family, still in the dark regarding my gender and new name. 
I don't want to go to this wedding and have to deal with two different names for different groups of people. But coming out at someone else's wedding seems gauche. It seems like I will need to tell my family at some point before the wedding, but there are a few people I am dreading that conversation with, my cousin being one of them. If I'm being honest, I just don't want to go to the wedding. But I also have a long history of avoiding confrontation, and I don't want to just give in to that tendency towards cowardice. What can I do here? I guess that's the other theme of today, right, is is like various queer people worrying that they are being too conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm. And often mm-hmm. on this show, uh, you often, more often than otherwise, I think my answer is usually, yes, you are. You should you should actively cultivate a little bit more conflict. But I think at least in, in these three examples, like, is it conflict avoidant to stop going to this one convenience store because someone who works there makes me feel weird? Is it conflict avoidant to be upset about how my partner treated me badly on a trip? Or is it conflict avoidant to not want to go to the wedding of my transphobic cousin? I think in all three of these, I feel like. Three no's. No. Yeah. At least for me, I, I read this feeling like, I, you know, I totally understand why and that you feel that you do eventually need to have this conversation where you come out to the rest of your extended family. And I agree that that's probably something you'll want to do in the near future but that's really separate from do i want to go to this wedding and i guess it's like it's not surprising i'm always on the side of like you don't have to go to like cause it's you know what i mean it's not even like i have a difficult relationship with my sister but she's my sister and we grew up together and i want to keep trying and she's getting married this is your cousin who it sounds like you don't see that often if you just want to skip it and then have like a weird but brief phone call instead of like a really uncomfortable conversation in advance of like a wedding that sucks for you just send that doesn't make you conflict avoidant yeah absolutely like i would give anyone permission to skip a cousin's wedding for any reason like it's a it, cousins are like nice optional friends right like it's great if you're close with your cousins but it's also fine if you just see them every like three or four years and you're like i i guess i don't actively wish you harm i don't know what are your relationships like with your cousins i'm so lucky that my first cousin is also my wife's best friend and and one of my and like my best friend so that's I, lovely I, I have like an amazing cousin relationship and then my other first cousins i love them deeply i just Texted one of them yesterday about Tim Robinson's. I think you should leave. Uh, Beautiful. I I'm I'm very lucky. Was this because your cousin and your wife already knew each other, or was it like you got married and your cousin was like, "Your wife seems amazing. I want to be her best friend." My I I met my now wife because she ended up living with my cousin in college. So that's they, beautiful. They had a mutual friend, and then I went up to visit my cousin to see her, and then she introduced me to her roommate, and that was. The person who I knew pretty soon after I was going to spend my life with. That was six, 17 years ago. Six, we should have opened the show with this. 17 this years is delightful. Ago. I love our I love our origin story. I do. I, I do too. Okay. So that is like a best case cousin scenario. It's best case scenario. It's an outlier probably. Yeah. Um, but, and, and my cousin is not like this cousin. Yeah. But I, I assume you also know, and perhaps your cousins have cousins of their own on a different side of the family, that they're like, eh, they're fine, but we're not besties. Right. So you might even be aware of other people in your life who have cousins that they just feel are sort of like they're in the background. Yes. Would you think it was weird if you knew somebody who had a cousin getting married and they were like, oh, I have a long uh, work day that week and it's not worth a trip. I'm just going to send a present and a nice note. Would that shock you or feel like, wow, this person's really conflict avoidant? Or would it be like, yeah, that's normal? No, it it would strike me as normal and even helpful in that one. Now you don't have to pay for their dinner because mm-hmm. it's expensive to host a wedding. And two, totally normal. And I, I mean, I just want to quote the letter writer here. You write, letter writer, I don't want to go to this wedding and have yeah. to deal with two different names, end quote. Okay, so that's one. And then another quote, if I'm being honest, I just don't want to go to the wedding. Listen to yourself. Don't go. Yeah. You are yeah. not conflict avoidant. Have the conversation if you feel like it, um, if, if you know, this relationship is important to you, but don't go to this wedding. And, and I think that's the other key, too, is like, I'm not very close with him. And that's not to say that it's always wrong to go to the wedding of someone you don't plan on getting closer with. But I think that's also a useful litmus test. If you're sort of on the fence about a wedding invitation you've received um, and you have some reasons to go and some reasons not to go, you know, ask yourself, is this somebody that I would like to be closer with in the future? And if the answer is no, that's often a pretty good indicator that you don't want to attend. Again, not that attending a wedding is a promise of like increased intimacy, but it certainly does. It's it's not nothing either. And so I, I think just go ahead and 
send a, a reasonable gift that you can afford off of their registry and a nice note um, and just say, I'm so sorry I won't be able to make it, but hope you guys have a great day. And there's a small chance if you have a kind of weird family with some unusual dynamics that you might get a little blowback, but it's much more likely that they have a guest list of you know, anywhere from like 30 to a hundred people mm-hmm. that they're worried about uh, accounting for and getting meals for and getting a seating arrangements for. And so it's just going to be a drop in the bucket of like, Oh, this cousin can't come fine. Cross that name off the list. Let's put someone else at that table. Yep. Yep. And then I share your sense of coming out of somebody else's wedding is, you know, maybe I wouldn't use the word gauche, but I agree. It's, it's never somebody else's wedding is never the place to have a conversation about like, any kind of life change, whether that's like, I'm getting married, I'm having a baby, I'm coming out, I'm transitioning, like save it for any other day. Yes, literally any other day. Yeah. So I, I think the same thing would hold and just like send the nice gifts and your regrets to the wedding. And then sometime after the wedding, again, not like on the honeymoon, wait, I don't know, a month at least. Um, and then just be like, by the way, I'm transitioning. I'm going by this name now. Hope you had a great honeymoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it again, like because this is not like, oh, we used to be super close or I hope we'll get closer again, or this is a sibling or somebody that I like lived with for years and really want to try to like prioritize. You do not have to have a big heart to heart where you invite them to share their thoughts and feedback on your transition. You can just offer it like, oh, I'm moving. Here's my new address. By the way, I'm transitioning. Here's my new name. Uh, Hope you're doing well. Goodbye. That again, kind of like in the first letter, like, you know, there's sometimes ways that you can go into a store and signal like I am here for business. I have a mission. I have one thing to acquire and I'm getting out of here. You can also do that in conversations like this. There's a way to have that conversation. that's like, well, I have something to tell you and I'm sort of anticipating we're gonna have a big talk and that your job is to share your feelings about it with me. I don't think that's what's called for here. I think what's called for here is like quick update, cousin. I don't talk too often. See you next Christmas. Yeah, I mean, could it even be an email? Does it even have to be a conversation? Absolutely. It could be an email. It could be a text. It could be a phone call. It could be something you shout over your shoulder when you leave the next like family gathering. It can be anything that you want it to be. Yeah, you know, I think you say you're out to friends at work, to your sister, shakily to your parents, to your more supportive partner's parents. You're mostly done, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you've done the big ones. Mm-hmm. And so give yourself permission to consider this, like, really, really, I I don't know. I don't want to like choose an elective in high school that I thought was dumb and fake because I don't want to, you know, offend shop teachers or anything. But like, think of this as like one of the few goof off electives that you need in order to graduate where it's like, this is not one of your core classes where you need a certain grade or you're not going to get into college. This is like, it's, it's shop or, or home ec or like remedial PE because I failed diving. (laughs) which I did because I wouldn't, I, I had to hold my nose when I jumped in the pool. So they, they failed me for diving because I would just jump in feet first. What grade is this? This was like sophomore year, I think. And this is a whole class or just like a, just like a lesson inside PE? If memory you serves, got graded on? Oh, you sophomore fault. year, PE was mostly swimming. Um, like that was the what year. A nightmare. Mostly did PE in the pool. I didn't love it. Um, And more than that, I didn't love the semester we had to spend on diving because, as I said, whenever I jumped in the pool, I'd get water up my nose and I hated it. So I was always jumping and swimming with like, again, like I had, I think they were like, well, get a nose plug like real swimmers have. And I was like, I don't like that. It doesn't work enough. So I'd always (laughs) be swimming around with like my hand fully pinching my nose shut, which, as you might imagine, really, really interfered with my ability to swim and dive at all. Did your other arm, did your non nose plugging arm get so strong from like? powering your whole body no because i mean again like you know like a third of class would be given over to like you know hey you, you're, are you going to swim today or are you going to be you know like flashing around fl- flailing around <laughs> with one arm on your face and i was like i'll be doing that and then we'd fight about that a bit and then i'd like swim one lap very slowly because it's one arm and you know it didn't go well for me but that's what i mean it's like treat it with the same seriousness i treated that swim class that didn't get in the way of my ability to go to a terrible college and graduate without honors so don't let this cousin hold you back from being like i'm out this is not an important person in my life this is going to be a brief conversation if he wants to be a dick about it afterwards that's fine i don't need to know like i just need to give him the information and then fuck off yeah i mean even that you don't even have to give them the information if you don't want to right that's another thing that's also like totally fine if this is someone you're just like i know he's transphobic i don't really like him otherwise we were never going to be besties 
for for all that I often do in you know encourage people to prioritize conflict on this show, it's also really good in the you know in the words of Kenny Rogers, like just as important as knowing when to hold them is knowing when to fold mm-hmm. them and knowing when to walk away and when to run. <laughs> um, and there's often great opportunities to say like I don't need to have conflict with this person. We're not in a serious relationship where like their opinion is important to me or we spend a lot of time together. And so if they didn't use my new name, it would really affect my social life. It's like, I barely know this guy who gives a shit what he thinks. Like, this is not important to me. And and so, yeah, you are not, maybe you are too anti-confrontation letter writer, but this isn't necessarily the conflict to start with, if that makes sense. Totally. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I appreciated your thoughtfulness and your perspective immensely. And, and thanks too for letting us know about all the additional advice that we could be getting from you on a weekly basis. Because if there's one thing I know about the people who listen to this show, they'll love hearing about advice. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I want to get their advice. So if if you're out there and you have you have a good strategy for making life slightly more bearable, you are a guest that I want on the show. You can just go to bestadvice.show and learn how to how to be my guest. I would, I would love to meet you. Amazing. Amazing. And again, for anyone else listening who feels like, oh, I have so much trouble meeting people, consider finding out whoever your cousin lives with and if they're, yep. uh, if they're fun to talk to. Talk to me 17 years from now and you'll be deeply in love. Thanks again so much and have a fabulous rest of your day. It's been an honor. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I think if you were to share with like a trusted friend and or a therapist, one of the things that was really hard for me on this trip was that my partner kept kissing me and holding my hand even when I was saying no and knowing that I was saying no because I was worried about our safety. Just say that sentence out loud to another person and kind of let it land. Don't try to soften it or give a lot of justifying explanations for why you think she acted the way she did. Just let it land with somebody else outside the relationship. I think that's really important. Not just us who might want the best for you but don't know you and can't be an ongoing part of your life, but somebody who does know you and see what their reaction is and maybe consider how would I react if a friend of mine said this happened to them? Would I say, man, you really fucked up and you need to be braver? Or would I say, whatever differences you two might have had on a safety strategy, it's really fucked up that your partner wouldn't stop touching you when you said no. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.